This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hi, LSPod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin? Sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Rodgers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! What a shot! It's an absolute pleasure to have you on, and from me asking you to do this to pressing record, it's been very, very quick. So, from an admin perspective, I'm over the moon. Thank you. <laughs> well, I've just showed you I've got nothing in my life at the moment to where I can do this quite quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and me both, Mark. You and me both. Um, this is a really interesting conversation I think we're going to have because there's so much to cover and it's it's always nice dipping into the 95-96 Swindon season. The last person I think I spoke to was of course sadly Steve Finney who's no longer mm. with us. Um, a huge loss and I, you know I, I remember seeing you make comments in relation to Finney's passing on social media when, when it happened. A mm. really really nice guy. It was, um, it was great. I remember him coming um... And I, I just I, I thought as a player he was he was fantastic, um, and as a person he was even better than that. And to be taken so young uh, for such a guy who had so much um, to give, um, and he and he lived his life accordingly, you know. And um, I'll always remember, you know, his little side jokes that he'd have at me, side swipes, and we'd be talking about cow pushing, I think it was, when he said cows would fall asleep, or they called it cow tipping. 
and he would, I think, from Cumbria would go back home when he was a youngster and push these cows over. So little stories like that. But yeah, I mean, not not taken away either. He was a, he was a very good centre forward, Steve. Yeah, yeah. I, I only spoke to him for a couple of hours and. Well, he definitely got that wicked sense of humour, that's for sure. It was an absolute privilege. But yeah, a really big loss uh, to Swindon and to uh, very sad indeed. So I start at the start, always, you're from an area where you're either red or blue. I'm, I'm expecting you to say red, but are you going to shock me? <laughs> no, no, I'm very much a red. Um, yeah, it's uh, you're right. Um, and I think it's about families, you know, if you've... My family were, were Liverpool supporters from uncles, aunties, grandchildren, everything was Liverpool and other families were traditionally Everton and um, it was it was great. And, and around the 80s time, it was great for Liverpool because Everton had a really strong team uh, and so did Liverpool. So uh, it was good in and around in my uh, earlier years, if you like, uh, supporting them and uh, it was great. But... <clears throat> Yeah, my dad was a Liverpool supporter. My goodness, I was, wasn't going to be anything else other than a Liverpool supporter. <laughs> Something from the 70s, 80s, whenever I speak to people who played during that time, especially when they're coming through as a youngster, is the fact that you know football back then is 11 starting, one on the bench, small squads. And you made it all the way through to pro. Of course, you don't play as many games as you would want with Liverpool, but the fact that you made it, that far is an achievement in its own right compared to what it is nowadays. What was your journey to the Liverpool senior team like? It was very similar to everybody else. We used to train on a Tuesday and Thursday at Melwood, which was the first team's training ground. But all the youngsters, the 12, 13, 14 year olds would go and train and Ronnie Moran would be there. Roy Evans would be there. Um, and they'd be looking at the youngsters that are coming through and, it was it was great. I mean, I loved it. It was you know we'd go to school, we'd do what we had to do at school, but we were always racing back on the Tuesday and the Thursday um, to go and get trained at Liverpool uh, and at Melwood, and um, and then hopefully we were all vying for positions to get into the B team as it was then and the A team, and there was a very easy structure back in the day. You played for the B team. If you were doing okay, you went into the A team. If you were doing okay, you went into the reserves. And that leap from the reserves to the first team was huge, humongous. And, you know, you, you talked about me playing for the first team. And I only ever played twice for Liverpool first team. But looking back on my career, that was my biggest achievement ever by a country mile. Because the team I played in was probably one of the best teams um, in the world at that time. Um you know, Alan Hansen's, Mark Lawrenson's, Bruce Groblick, Kenny Laglish, I mean, Ian Rush, the, the list goes on. And for me, as a, an 18-year-old bootle lad, uh, to be able to progress through the B, the A, the reserves, and manage to play for Liverpool is, is my biggest achievement. Um, forget about everything else I've done in the game in terms of played in major cup finals and different things, but to go and play with your idols, to represent the team that you have loved and watched. Um, and not only that, the pride for both myself and very much so for my family uh, and friends uh, was was a huge achievement for me. And that's going to be, I mean, I look back obviously now, 55, look back all my career, all my clubs, and, and I highlight that as my biggest achievement. Yeah, it has to be, doesn't it? And I, I, I think a lot of football fans forget about 
the graft that goes in before that debut, you know, just to get to that stage is is insanely difficult. Um, you mentioned there Kenny Dalgleish, Roy Evans, Ronnie Moore, Ronnie Moran. The boot room is something that I guess I'm the first generation where that isn't as sort of uh, not praise, but it's something that is beginning to be getting forgotten in time, not for Liverpool fans, of course. I mean, Ronnie Moran for me is my mentor um, who I listen to and took everything on board that he told me. He wasn't, um, let's say, he wasn't like, he wouldn't give you an arm around his shoulder and say, well done. He just, you know, he'd G you up in the right way, um, in a honest uh, way. Um, if, you were, if, you weren't, if you weren't at it and you weren't performing, he'd tell you. Um, but the thing I learned from, from being at Liverpool and from the likes of Kenny and Ronnie, they didn't have to put their arm around you to tell you your well, well dones and different things. If you were in the team uh, on the Saturday, that was enough. You know, and I always remember when I was I was in the squad for about ten to twelve months previous to when I was was playing or made my debut. And after every game they won, no matter how well they did, Ronnie would always say, "That's gone. Next one's coming up. Come on, forget about that. Don't, never dwell on your past glories." He'd say, and it's something that I've took through the whole of my career. You know, you can sit back of an evening and think, "Wow, I scored the winner there. It was a good." good game I played well and everything else but you know you've got to look at the next game that's coming up and um, that put stood me in, in good stead not to actually you know dwell on on your past glories and always look forward to make yourself better to to make yourself a better player I mean when I was at Swindon I loved it because I was the captain uh, at times and uh, obviously we had a little bit of success and we had a really good team at the time and you know, I took all of that and I, I loved it. And that was all because of the responsibility. I remember one time when I was playing for Liverpool, I was having a, a bad time of it. I was going to head balls and I was getting under it or I was stuttering and couldn't get there. And, and I went in to see Ronnie and I said, what am I doing wrong? You know, and you know what he said to me? And this will go against every coaching manual in the world. He said to me, work it out yourself, son. So, and, and you know what? It was the best advice I ever did because know what I did? I went home and thought about it. And that's probably why I, I became a coach as well because I thought about the other side of the game. It was probably the worst bit of advice from a, from a coach because you want the coaches to give you all the answers. But I went home and I sat down with my dad. I said, what am I doing wrong here? How can I rectify this? And we talked about it. I went through it in my head. And my goodness, I got the right answer the next game. And I thought, wow, bad piece of advice, but the best piece of advice I could ever give. But I, I, you couldn't do that nowadays. You couldn't say to a young left back, you work it out yourself, son. You, you know, but that was then. But you've got to realise back in the day, Ronnie Moran and Roy Evans, they didn't really have to coach because they had all the best players. You know, the Liverpool team were all the best players. Um, you know, Rushy, you can't tell Rushy how to do this because he done it naturally. All of that, and all that the, they had to do at Liverpool was was manage the group and get them to be fit and get them to play the games because you know that was what it was all about. But yeah, that was a, an interesting one, and I and I look back now, having been a coach uh, at different clubs and players looking at you wanting the answers, and I often wanted to say, 
just work it out yourself. So, you know, but you can't do that now. But yeah, that was the best advice I ever got off him. It was great. Yeah, I don't think that's going to get you your, your A for B license somehow, <laughs> not, is it? Not, not now, no. <laughs> before, before you broke into the senior setup, you represented England, which, again, not an easy thing to do. You did that at schoolboy and youth caps. I think you went to the Matropa Cup, is that right, in Yugoslavia? Yeah, yeah, in Yugoslavia. I remember it well. Um, and I'll tell you a little story about that as well. We, were, we had a day off and group of lads, I think we were about 17, I think it was under 18 tournament, 17, and we, we it was in Pula, um, and we went on a little walk around the beach, and part of this beach was cut, uh, was fenced off. So we're all thinking, I wonder why that's fenced off, I wonder why that's all fenced off. So 17-year-olds <laughs> being 17-year-olds, we swam around to get onto this beach, and lo and behold, we walked on, and it was a nudist speech, and you've never seen so many kids run back so quickly to get out of that. But yeah, but yeah, I mean that was a good tournament for us. Uh, it was a good experience. I mean, I remember because Liverpool. I always remember Kenny always saying to me, um, "You go into you're being selected, da 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 da." I said, "Okay, brilliant." I go, and then whenever I came back, he says, "Whatever you learned, forget about it. You're back home at Liverpool now." And I used to think, oh, okay, yeah, you know. But they, they, they obviously they were the best team. Liverpool, they had all of the best players. They, they had the best formula, if you like, for winning games because they did. Uh, and he was a little bit not worried, but he always used to say to me, whatever you've learned, forget about it. Get back to being, you know, in the Liverpool, the Liverpool fold, if you like. And that used to be interesting. But yeah, I, I played with some good players in, in at England in the youth uh, and also the school boys. A uh, lot of the players went on to to do well in terms of becoming professional footballers and, and making a living out the game. Yeah, I, I think from that tournament, there are a few there are a few others that had good, solid football league careers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what? We all look at this academy system and everything else, and it's all geared to, to being uh, a professional footballer in the Premier League. You know, it, there's, the only difference with being a, a Premier League footballer now and a League Two player right now it's just luck because the one in the Premier League's got a little bit more uh, ability than the guy who... But the guy who plays in League Two will train exactly the same way, will live his life exactly the same way as the guy in the Premier League. It's just unfortunate that the levels of abilities are different. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, the way football is right now, I mean, if you look when you... I, meant, I heard you mention that, you know, back in the day they had one sub, which they did. I think Liverpool played something ridiculous, like 60 to 70 games with one sub, you know, right the way through. I think they used 13 players or something. And then you look at, you know, Klopp rested seven the other week against Benfica, didn't he? Um, and the turnaround. So, and also what you've got to realise is nowadays as well is the amount of science that's involved in terms of dietary, in terms of keeping fit, is is huge, you know, and um, but what I will say is just from a purely ability point of view, forget the fitness side of it, but a purely um, ability side, the players were equally as good back in the day as they are right now. It's just that the game's gotten quicker, um, the game, the players have gotten fitter, um, probably a little bit more technical, but. If them players back in the day had all of the science and, and stuff that we, we had and what the players have got now, 
then they would be equally as good as all of these big superstars that are playing now. Yeah, it's an interesting point you raised there. We we had a player up until last year called Scott Twine. And a couple of years ago, Scott Twine was on the fast track to non-league. You know, he was, you know, the usual five to 10 games, few loan spells. And then he went on loan to a league club and it really worked for him. He came back to Swindon. He individually played very well. And now he's scoring for fun for MK Dons and he's looking at a five million pound transfer, you know, and he could have easily ended up at Chippenham Town. Had, course, um, yeah. had things been a little bit different. It's crazy, isn't it? But it's all about, I mean, when I used to scout and we go looking at players, you know, the last thing I wanted to look at was his ability, really. I wanted to look at everything else. What was he like when, you know, like even with the, I used to go and watch the warm-up. So if someone's joking around in the warm-up, I'm thinking, well, you know, if he's joking around in the warm-up on the day of a game, what's he going to be like? you know, right the way through the week when there's, you know, not that much scrutiny on him or how he reacted when he lost possession or how he reacted when his teammate lost possession or what did he do? Did he get back? All of these little things. And I remember reading, uh, Arsene Wenger was saying, um, he has 10 bullet points of what they need and ability was around fifth. You know, all of them other things, you know, teamwork, you know, being, you know, when, when they're warming up, if they're at the front of the group, you know, and I used to watch Man United warm up and Gary Neville was always at the front. No wonder he had a great career that lasted so many years because they they lived and loved the game. And we've seen lots of lots of talented players at Swindon as well. We've had, when I was there, lots of talented players who never really had that other side, which was, you know, the, the staying in, being dedicated to the game, wanting to become better, wanting to live the life of a footballer. They got sucked in with that other other thing. And we see with, with the likes of Deli Ali, you know, how it can easily go go the other way, you know. And, you know, if you don't really knuckle down and, and want to be that footballer, then it'll come back and bite you on the bottom easily. Mm, yeah, absolutely. In terms of Liverpool, like we've discussed, you play two times in the Cup against QPR and York. And as you quite rightly high, highlight, this isn't a B-team Liverpool side that they put out. You're covering, I think, Gary Gillespie and all the big hitters mm-hmm. are playing in those games. You have a lone spell at Norwich, which is top flight too. But eventually you do leave Liverpool and join Manchester City. It's quite, in modern terms... Who would you play for? Liverpool and Man City. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> Well, to be honest with you, it's great now because I'm in India and I do the TV over here. And because obviously Man City and Liverpool are the top, I'm like, uh, they put my name and then Mark Seager's Manchester City and Liverpool, you know, forget about Bolton and Swindon um, <laughs> and Norwich even, you know. But yeah, uh, it holds a lot of sway right now. Um, but you've got to remember, when I, I, I'll tell you a story about Kenny. He came into me and he he knew I was disappointed with only when I had the, my my debut. I did relatively okay, but I'm not saying I was good enough to play in Liverpool's team, you know, and and cement my place in there. Absolutely not. But I wanted to play. That gave me the you know that little bit of a a push to want to play uh, more games in, in in proper games, not reserve games, and not um, you know B team and, and A team games. I wanted to play. Um, I remember going in and he said, I know you're disappointed. And he said, Man City have come in. He said, you don't have to go. He said, you can have a contract here. But obviously, we've just bought Gary. Um, and you've seen what's happened with yourself when Gary played in the return leg. Um, and you, you, So he said, 
you can stay here, no problem. But if you want to go to Man City, he said, I'll do the deal for you. He told me what I should ask for. He, all of that. So I, I had a chat with my father and I said, I just want to play. Um, and Manchester City, even then, was a big team. You know, it had a huge following. Uh, it was back in the old main road, back in the day, where they had the kickbacks. And we used to get 30,000 every weekend. And they had a good young side, Man City. You know, the likes of uh, David White, uh, Andy Hinchcliffe, uh, Paul Lake, uh, the Brightwell brothers, you know, Stevie Redmond. We had a lot of youngsters. So I thought this would be a really good, good opportunity. Um, and I left. And I remember um, we played Liverpool. And I, I actually played right back that day. We got beat, I think, 4-1. And afterwards, as the game's finished and we've all been dressed, we're coming out of main, uh, main Road. Who did I bump into? But Kelly Daglish. And the only one he said to me, I told you you shouldn't have left, didn't I? <laughs> 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 and I went, you're right, yeah. <laughs> and then I went home. Oh, but I used to live by him anyway in Southport, so it wasn't, uh, I used to see him play golf and stuff. But yeah, I mean, you know, the Liverpool was a homely club. Um, you know, we had, you talk about boot room, they had Bill Shankly, uh, Joe Fagan, Bob Paisley, and then the natural progression, I think Kenny then took over from Joe, I think it was, Joe Fagan. It only really changed when, when uh, Graham Sunas came in and wanted to implement all of his um, style and his charisma onto the football club, and it never really worked for him. But, um, yeah, I've got great memories of Liverpool. Uh, I hold it dearly in my heart, and I'm so proud and so happy right now where we are. And if there's ever a manager that can be anywhere near uh, Bill Shankly at Jurgen Klopp, He's really, you know, took the Liverpool by storm. He, he, he understands the city. He understands the people. He understands that, you know, the football club is a huge part of the community and the players are a part of people's lives. And, you know, he's got them playing to a level where, you know, it's, it's unprecedented, isn't it? They're going for a quadruple right now. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. It's brilliant to be a Liverpool supporter anyway. Yeah, uh, not something I don't think I'll ever feel as a Swindon fan, but you dare to dream, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so Manchester City's next. I completely agree. I'm, I'm certainly, although they're new money in the sense that they've got that super wealth, they've always been a really, really big football side. And they're in the second tier at this stage, but you've listed all the big hitters there. And they've even got Clive Allen, who a couple of years before is top scorer in the first division, you know? So, and Paul Lake is one of the most exciting prospects in English yeah. football at that time yeah. um, too. It doesn't work out for him because of injuries, of course. But yeah, I mean, are, are you right back when you go there too? Because, you know, all the research that I sort of find tends to think that in that first season, you'll cover as right back. I when I first went, um, it was a bit of a shock to the system. Obviously, you've gone to a different club with different, you know, going into the gym and doing work in the gym was was frowned upon at Liverpool, you know. And then we left Liverpool, went to Man City, and everyone's in the gym doing weights and different things. And it took me a while. I had a lot of injuries. I broke my back at in Swindon, uh, Man City as well. I was out for twelve months, and you know, Mel Machen signed me, and then. You know what football's like within a year or two and having that injury uh i got back to fitness and then howard kendall come in and obviously howard's everton and 
and and he didn't fancy me as a player anyway. Um, and so it was a, a long six to twelve months really, uh, and I utilised that that to just you know try and get my fitness back in. But yeah, I played right back um, a few times, uh, but predominantly I was a centre half, and I was always more comfortable as a centre half. I wasn't as mobile enough as a right back to to um to, to to play that position but I did play a few times for for Man City there yeah yeah and the second season's a good one because it's a title winning season and you play a lot of football during that time before that injury kicks mm. in did, did that injury essentially impact the rest of your career it did at city yeah i mean yeah um not in terms of the injury itself uh the injury itself was okay it was just rest and recuperation and and everything else, it was just, it was a broken vertebrate. I mean, I, I make it sound more more like saying it's a broken back, but it was a broken vertebrae. Uh, and the only the only remedy for that was was 12 months out. And you know how, how quickly football changes, uh, even in four months, five months. And to, to have been playing, to have tried to cement a, a place in the team to then have 12 months out, uh, and in that time, obviously, say we, we signed Clive Allen and other players, Gary Megsons, and you know all of these players are coming in, and you're still on the injury list, and you, you're not in the manager's um, eye line at all, uh, and it moves quickly. Um, and as I say, Manchester, I love my time at Manchester City. Uh, I love the supporters. I think they're really, really. Honest supporters, you know they've had a, a bad do of it over the years, and and I'm I'm glad that they're getting the rewards that they they're getting now, albeit with you know huge investment. Um, but yeah, um, and it was all about you know football's an unforgiving game. It's uh, it's a lovely game. It's a great game when it's all going well, but when it isn't, it can be really unforgiving. And with injuries like that, you're never going to be the same player. Um, but again, you know, I managed to then, obviously, I'm going ahead of myself with you now, but I managed to obviously play, I only played about 40, 50 games for Man City and, you know, managed to get myself to a fitness level where I was available and able to go and play for somebody else after that. Yeah, absolutely. And not an easy thing to do in, in that sort of pre what the, the developments in in medical science we've mm. had just in that short space of time you know it really could have been that for you and Paul Lake being you know different injury but being one of the case in points yes yeah I mean Paul Lake was was on the on the cusp of I remember I think it was the 19 it was at the 84 World Cup or 82 well something it was whatever it was and Gascoigne was just was pushing onto the scene as well Paul Lake was better than him and he had more potential at the time. And he had this ACL uh, and he didn't get treated properly. Um, and he was obviously never the same player again. But what a player he was, Paul Lake. He could play central midfield. He could play right back. He could play centre half. And in any of them positions, he was absolutely top class. Um, and it was just unfortunate because, yeah, he, he was in, I think, the shadow squad or or on in the squad to, to go to that particular World Cup around that time. Was it? That would have been 86. 86, I yeah. I would have said, yeah. That would have been 86 for Gascoigne too, yeah. Yeah. So so next up is is Bolton. And it, it, it's something that I think happened more then than it does now. But I look at your career, right? So in, in word form, you're looking at 
best team in the world potentially um, making it, it into the senior setup whether it be training or playing a couple of games England youth caps Man City sure you know one of the best teams in the second tier going up to the first tier you get those first team you, you play twice I think in the top flight for Man City but you make it given that injury and then you drop down to the third tier so for me that that's well for a generation now that would be just ridiculous mm-hmm. wouldn't it I mean the idea of going from the top tier to the third tier having what you've experienced before I'm looking at this though and I'm thinking Phil Neal what what happened here? Yeah, well, Phil Neal, obviously, uh, I knew him from from my Liverpool days and and such like. And again, I wanted to play. It wasn't about anything other than trying to get back on track. Because you know, as much as I love my time in in um, at Man City, I had a, a lot of injuries. You know, uh, one with being a twelve month back um, broken back. So I just wanted to to re reinvigorate myself and start playing again and and to try and stay as fit as I could because you know I was I was one of these players that didn't get little niggles you know I either got the full it or, or nothing at all do you know what I mean and I had I had numerous operations um, right the way through my career um, but I had a really good spell at Bolton I played for five years there we had lots of really good teams I mean we had Obviously, got to the the League Cup final. Uh, we had really good FA Cup runs where we were going deep into the competition. Beat Arsenal away from home uh, when they were the Invincibles. It was just an amazing time at Bolton to go from the Phil Neal era, which was you know basically turn up at Burnham Park, train over the road, or train on the car park, to you know realizing. And getting bigger and better. Then Bruce Riott came in, um, and we had players like John McGinley, Owen Coyle, Mixu Patterline, and Alan Stubbs, <laughs> Alan Stubbs, Jason McAteer, Tony Kelly. We had stop so, it. This is no- <laughs> so many good players, and we and we had a really good team, uh, and we we got promotion. We got a couple of promotions while I was at Bolton. And it went from being like a quite a parochial little club to being in, in the Premier League, which which is is brilliant because you know at the end of the day, if you if you're living in the Lancashire area, Bolton's a big club within within Lancashire and the northwest. And um, yeah, it, it has it has some real you know Nat Lofthouse and players like that back in the day, huge names. And yeah, I had a really really good time of it at Bolton. I find it amazing that you listed all those players that I booed because we're going to get to that semi-final in a few moments' <laughs> time. And uh, and um, I was surprised that you didn't mention scoring against Liverpool. Well, I mean, in that game, and as I I also messed up for the for the goal that uh, I think Ian Rush scored. <laughs> so I don't wax too much too lyrical about that. But yeah, that was a, a great uh, a great game for me to to score um, and also when we went back to Anfield uh, for the replay we we beat them we beat them fair and square I mean when we played them at Bandon Park the pitch was solid it was it was rock hard um, because of the ice and different things but then we went back to Anfield and had one of our glory nights as well uh, especially for a Bolton player and a Bolton uh, supporters we absolutely tore Liverpool apart that night yeah I remember it very well actually it's, it's funny because down here Bristol City sort of celebrate 
their FA Cup moment against Liverpool, which I think was the following season. Mm-hmm. But at that time, it kind of happened quite a bit during yeah. Liverpool's history. They, they, were, they, they weren't that great at that particular... That was the Sunes era, wasn't it? They weren't that great. Um, and I think that put Liverpool back maybe a decade or more, you know, in terms of... But having said all of that, it was still Liverpool. It was still Anfield. And we went there and we we, we did well, Matt. Uh, you know David Lee, the little tricky winger. He had the best game I've ever seen anybody have. Uh, John McGinley scored, Andy Walker scored. So, yeah, and it was a great night. And I, I remember that night really well because um, Phil Brown, who ex-manager of Hull and, and whatnot, he, he came to stay. He came to stay with, with me uh, at my house in Southport. And we went out with the girls and... We had a really, really good night. And I remember just sitting back in the house and Phil is, is great. He had a, a cigar and he was just sat there and I'm thinking, where did it all go wrong? You know, we just won against Liverpool. We've been out and had a few beers, but back home and he's smoking a big cigar. It was great stuff. <laughs> Phil Brown used, used to manage Swindon, so yes. I should really get him on, shouldn't I? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he, he was with Swindon. Uh, well, he was at Swindon just last week because he manager of Barrow now yes. and, uh, yeah he said some nice things about Swindon which was kind of a surprise but it was nice he's a classy guy Swindon Swindon is, is is a really lovely lovely club um, and the fact that it's played in the Premier League um, is, is amazing just in itself isn't it you know because it's it's not a huge club uh, but it's had some really really good managers and good teams and good players as well O'Sullivan Finney a target in the penalty area, he's found the young Finney, it's 2-0, two goals in a minute. You can only begin to think the thoughts that are going through the head of Harford and Flowers. Before we get to Swindon, there is a little matter of a semi-final we need to talk about. One of the darkest moments of my childhood were the, were the weeks around this game, purely because we were struggling, but we had this incredible cup run where we had got to the semi-final of the Coca-Cola Cup. We had Jan Fjortoft up front. All was well. We play the first leg. You don't play that game. Yeah. Swindon win 2-1 and to go to uh, Burnden Park. I think the game's postponed um, the the second leg initially, and then we play you um, on Mar- in March time, ninety five. It's kind of a nothing game for for the first hour, and then just just before the hour mark, actually Swindon take the lead. And I think if this game's nil nil, or that goal doesn't happen when yeah, yeah. scores, I think I think Swindon go to Wembley. Um, it seemed to spark you guys to love. You did play in the second leg. And then Makatahir, Patalainen, and McGinley broke my little heart, um, <laughs> and I missed out on a on a League Cup trip against Liverpool. But well done. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Um, we 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 were we had a team like that where you know we could play badly in games, but we had players who can you know turn turn a game on the head. And as you said, if it had been nil nil, uh, I think Swindon relaxed a little bit uh, in terms of you know. Mentally as well, you know, you've got to be switched on mentally. And they just thought, OK, we're there near enough now, aren't we? And we've seen it last night in, in the Champions League with uh, Real Madrid against Manchester City. You know, as soon as you let, relax and, and think you got there, then, you know, things will, will come up and bite you. And uh, it happened with, with us. But 
I mean, that again, that is a, another really good, important part of my life where I was out of the, really out of the squad or out of the team and, um, and managed to get back in. I think Simon Coleman broke his leg um, in the game previous, not your game, not the, in another game. And I was I was thrust, thrust back into the team and obviously then played in, in the cup final as well and the last few games because I was always going to leave. Um Bolton that year, um, so yeah, I mean it's it's a nice it's a nice thing, isn't it, to to be able to have that on your CV that you've obviously come back in and forget about the semi final, which you obviously haven't, but the final then, isn't it? And then to look at I'm playing against my boyhood team again, no Liverpool, and it's wow, you know. Um, so yeah, it was it was about that time when we had a, as I say we had a really really strong team you know these some of these players went on to become top flight players Jason McAteer Alan Stubbs Mixu John McGinley you know Owen Coyle all played you know for the for the countries and, and different things so um, yeah we had a, a really solid um, solid outfit and unfortunately for Swindon um, it wasn't meant to be yeah, and of course, Bruce Rioch pretty much gets the Arsenal job as a result mm. of what he does at Bolton, doesn't yeah. he? And, you know, 75,000 at Wembley and you even get a goal because my memory of that, of course, is because you're second tier and recently were third tier. Everybody expected Liverpool to win. It wasn't as comfortable, I don't, from memory as, as Liverpool probably would have liked, but they had Steve McManaman and he was one of their better players at the time but you the fact that you got that goal shortly after they scored was would have been enough for me as a Swindon fan I think <laughs> if we were playing that game like well, well, just they, like to get a goal they call it the McManaman final don't they because uh, you know he was he was the difference uh, in in that game and Alan Thompson uh, scored this, the, the goal for us and you know we rocked Liverpool a little bit um but ultimately you know I'm a, I'm a great believer in cream rising to the top and they were obviously a, a, a higher level than, than us on, on the day and they managed just to scrape through. But, you know, at the time, devastated, really upset. But when you look back and, and I'm sat here in Goa in, in India and when I'm talking to, to yourselves or other people on podcasts, it makes you then start to think uh, and reminisce. And it's nice to be able to say, oh, yeah, I played in a, in a major cup final. Oh, yeah, I played for Liverpool when... Liverpool were fantastic. Oh, yeah, I had some good time. We've got this promotion, that promotion. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's nice to, 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 to do all of that. The only difference is uh, these lads this day and age will be able to do it with a load of, a load of money behind them. Unfortunately for us lads, we, we didn't earn that much um, considering what they earn now. Does that, does that linger? No. About your one generation sort of before the millionaire era? Absolutely not for me, no. I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, get what you can. And if you're in the right place at the right time, that's absolutely fantastic. But having said all of that, I could have 100 million in the bank and not have a game where I can reckon, I, I remember going and playing at Wembley and all the build up to Wembley or when we won promotion and, and even when we won promotion uh, with Swindon. We went to uh, and had a night out with all the boys and the wives in uh, in Preston uh, at this place that Steve had, had organised, and they're the things that you you remember, you know. Um, and it's all well and good having the money, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't change a thing, you know. I've I had a good good career, 
Um, I had um, good times, lots of bad times, injuries and, and whatnot, but I wouldn't change it for the world. And, and I'm sure 90% of the players wouldn't, you know, begrudge the players in and what they, they wish they could, but I don't think in a jealousy type of scenario that they, they, they would, you know, look at it and think, God, you know, we all want to have a decent life. And I think from my point of view, I, I personally think that you make the best out of, of what you do have. And who would have thought I'd have ended up living in India for the last 10 years and working on Sony TV, having my own soccer schools. It's just, I, I, that would have been the furthest thing. But you've got to make what you can out of life, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely, you do. So Swindon Town, it's it's the first time that you really sort of venture yourself to play football. Swindon managed, of course, by Steve McMahon, who would have been a teammate at Liverpool. Was that was that the big factor? Were there options elsewhere? There were options, yeah. Um, and I'd always stayed in the northwest, really. You know, Liverpool, then to, to obviously Manchester City, and then to Bolton. Uh, and I just fancied a change. I wanted to take my family away from where we were living and just have a a new life. And you know, there's nowhere better than than the Cotswolds, is there? You know, it's a beautiful place. Um, and I just loved the lifestyle uh, at Swindon, you know. And and this is no disrespect. There wasn't that much pressure on you in terms of, you know, it was just a nice, lovely, for me at my age and my time and my career, not that I didn't want to win and didn't want to be, be successful, but I just loved I used to, uh, we, we moved to a place called Lydiard Millicent. I'm sure you know where that is. And it's just like the quintessential Cotswold little village, isn't it? It's beautiful. And, you know, I, I, I loved, I loved my time at Swindon. Again, it was littered with, with different injuries and, and I ended up retiring at Swindon through injury, but we had some, again, we had a really good team. We had some really good players, Paul Allen, you know, big Sean at the back, Ian Culverhouse, you know, Mark Robertson, Oh my God! The list, the big chief up front. We had a really, really strong outfit uh, at that particular time, and we had a, a hungry manager in Steve as well, didn't we? Yeah, we certainly did. Ninety five, ninety six is is certainly a season that I look back at fondly. Maybe that's because I'm a child. Maybe it's because we win a league. I don't know, but it, it's it's a time where where you know the sun seemed to shine and and everything seemed to be nice. When you when you said there before that like talking about there wasn't as much pressure I don't think you said pressure but what, what do you mean by that let's say for instance I have played at Liverpool so when you're at Liverpool you have to win every every game not that you didn't have to win every game at Swindon but the reality was mind you having said all of that I think I'll take that back because Swindon had been in the Premier League hadn't they uh, and they and they'd had success so but I just what I was saying is that the pressure I used to always put myself under was, was from myself only to want to perform and to want to do well. But um, I probably said that in the in the wrong way. What I meant was we weren't expected to go, go through the leagues and get right back up to the Premier League and, and start winning. No, that's the thing. But when you go to a big, with all due respect, to bigger clubs, then the expectation level becomes a little bit higher. I used to love the fact that I could play on a Saturday and go to my local bar with, with Paul Bowden and have a drink with the supporters and have a chat. And it was never, what I'm trying to say, it was never 
uh, a horrible chat. Yeah, the, the pressure, the pressure is 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 naturally more relaxed. With, it was with very relaxed, teams, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but and and it was nice to be able to have that chat where when you're in these big provincial cities and towns and stuff, then you know it's the players a can't even go and have a drink, you know, in in bars because there'll, there'll be some someone who'll be you're this, you're that, you're the. But it was really nice and and relaxed, and it was very good for my kids growing up as well. You know, they they had a good school, they had good friends. It was a lovely, lovely place to be to be in. Not far from London, not far from Bath, Bristol. Just everything that was. I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, you mentioned Paul Bowden being a um, a after hours power. Who who were your uh, your closest when you were at Swindon? Uh, I would say Paul uh, was up, went on holiday together to America as well. He used to go to America all the time with his family. And one year we we all went and met each other there and, and had a good time of it. Um, Mark Robinson was another lad uh, who I was quite close with. Um, and obviously, you know, the likes of Alex Smith, when he came, Scouser, you had to, you know, look after him. And Steve Finney stayed at my house for a while while Steve was looking for his own. And so uh, I tended to be a little bit of the father figure, really, you know. Um, and But as I say, we had a really, really close, close group. You know, I remember like David Kerslake and, as I say, Sean Taylor, all of these players in Culverhouse, we all were, were, were together in it. You know, Paul Allen, with big names, you know. Uh, and that was only because the likes of Steve McMahon's name got them to come to the club. Um, but once there, they all they all really enjoyed it. And as I say, we had some successful times. Yeah. Steve McMahon's a complex one, really, Um in terms of that, I've spoke to a lot of people from this era and the the following seasons, and you know there are some you know respectful acknowledgements for what he was trying to do, but there was also a lot of a lot of negative stuff too. Can you see both sides of that? Absolutely, I can understand it absolutely because the one thing that he he was he was a he was a hothead. He you know he was very driven in what what he wanted. And I don't think he really, it didn't bother him what people thought of him. Uh, and fundamentally, he just wanted to win games and football matches and be successful. Uh, and I think he showed that uh, to a certain extent. But I can understand people not liking him. Um, I can understand, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there were times when, as a captain, I'd be in the changing room and I'd get in early. And maybe something had kicked off and Steve was angry about something and then someone would pass him in the corridor and they'd be like turned to stone, these youngsters, and they'd come in and I said, What's wrong? Oh, the gaffer, seeing the gaffer. I said, Just don't worry about it, just you know, we'll go training. But it, it used to affect the training and because these these younger players couldn't handle the fact that maybe the manager snubbed them in the in the corridor. You know what the corridor's like at Swindon. You know, there's only room for two, isn't there? You know, <laughs> and if you if you've walked past someone and they they're like steaming, then it's it's very very difficult. But yeah, um, so yeah, I can understand that. I can understand fifty percent like them and fifty percent don't. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think when things are going well on the pitch, you kind of not turn a blind eye, but that sort of attitude is probably more acceptable. And when things get a little bit tougher, like they did, and I think nearer to the end, what you know, after you'd gone, I think he was a borderline invincible at one stage, and it just turned into a little bit of 
little bit of a mess and it kind of ruined the legacy of what was an absolutely amazing season 95 96 what what were your highlights from it uh, do you know what my my highlight just just winning and getting that promotion and valediction or validation of me leaving Bolton to go to Swindon and you know seeing the uh, the amount of good quality players that were coming to the football club you know either on loan or you know buying them and uh, the one thing about Steve, whether you like him or you don't, is that he had a good name in the game in terms of reputation and he was able to bring this better quality um, player to the football club. And um, and that was that was a good thing. You know, any season that you you win uh, and you, you, you go, you're winning more, let's say, and you're going to have more happy Saturdays than than you, than, than not. That's a really, really good season. And it was, as I said, it was validation for me to have left and to come here. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a really good season. As I say, I've got nothing but good memories uh, at, at Swindon. Uh, I loved I loved the place. Um, I even lived next door to the safety officer. I forget his name now. Um, and Lydia Millicent. And he's a, you'll know him. Um, he used to do all the safety and... We talk off the fence about the game the night. No, this is what I'm saying. How the diff when you ask me about the no pressure on you, we talk about the game over the fence and what was what happened last week and this this that and the other. And it, it was really really. I lo- as I say, I loved it. I I, I love Swindon. It's probably changed a hundred times more from when when I was there because there's a lot of building going on. But you know the Cotswolds, <laughs> the Cotswolds are absolutely amazing. And as I say that. Yeah, and that proximity to to London um, and you know Salisbury and all of these places. I used to love taking the kids out on a on a Sunday, uh, and we'd go to Hyde Park or we'd go down to Bath. We we'd do loads of different things, and it, it was beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah, yeah. Swindon Town, the county ground hasn't changed a huge amount since the mid nineties. The club and the uh, sports trust are, are buying the ground off the council, so things right. possibly will change soon. The one one thing that I find it's really interesting because it's really great that you look back at your time at Swindon and it, it's all positive. The thing that like oh, I didn't worry me to mention, but in in the second season we lose Sean Taylor, mm-hmm. and Sean Taylor is a club legend. Mm-hmm. You know nothing no bad word has ever been said about Sean Taylor and you're the poor soul that has to take the captain's armband from him because Sean Taylor and Steve McMahon clearly have a falling out you don't sell Sean Taylor um, unless things have gone wrong behind the scenes because I think he even plays the first game of the season mm. and then you then take the armband from him and it, it probably doesn't help your legacy that that you take that armband because people associate you with McMahon because of the Liverpool link mm-hmm. and so forth. Were you just at that point you were just like, well, he was gone and I was asked to be captain, so that's what I did. Yeah, and that's that's the the bad side or the good side of however way you view football. You know, the king's dead, long live the king. Now, Sean is a is a, a massive, obviously a massive Swindon Town legend, isn't he? You know, he scored lots of goals, played lots of games. He was the captain's captain, you know, and I learned an awful lot from him uh, as to how to be a captain. You know, it was very understated. He did everything on the pitch. He trained very, very well. You never had a, an issue off him off the pitch. He was a lovely family man and everything else. Um, but if someone offers you the captaincy, you've got to take it, you know, and 
yes, I mean, whatever, if people have that opinion, it was never mine. Um, I, I respected Sean very, very much. And I know he went on to become a really good coach as well. Um, but, yeah, I, if the manager asked me to, to do it, I, I understood, uh, you know, it's the Scouser thing, Scousers and Scousers, and all he seemed to be getting in was Scousers, to, you know, uh, what's Tony Grant and then Alex Smith and all of this were coming in and, um, but my my whole focus was was trying to do the best for for Swindon and um, and I'll hold my hand up I would never was going to be anywhere near as as good a captain as as Sean Taylor was but I think I was probably one of the the better people to take the captaincy at that particular time when Sean had left and I relished it I loved my responsibility. I love the fact that I could nurture the youngsters. You know, remember Ty Gooden and all of these players, Lee Collins coming into the club, uh, and they would look, you know, would ask certain things, and it was it was nice for me, and it it stood me in good stead to to become a coach as well because I could understand, you know, a what the changing rooms are like when you're not in there, if you know what I mean, you know, and. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can understand people saying that absolutely, but that was never, never on my radar. The only thing I wanted to do was be successful. Um, you know, we all want a better. I, I could never better Sean, but I wanted to be better than him. But obviously, you know, he is he's the legend. And you know, the one thing about Sean which I loved, he led from the front. You know, and that that taught me an awful lot. You know, about being a captain, about being a leader. Um, and it was just unfortunate that, you know, I didn't I didn't quite understand uh, what went on with 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 him and Steve. But as we've talked about with Steve, you know, you either love him or you hate him, don't you? And, um, <laughs> and I think in between you can love him and then grow to hate him, or vice versa. You know, so <laughs> I think he's one of them them characters, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we move on from Swindon, you know, you thank you quite rightly pointed out you've, you've come from Liverpool Liverpool have a history of some of the biggest rivalries in in the world Manchester City again huge rivalries so fan culture you know obsesses about those days you got to play in quite a few derbies that Swindon look yeah. forward to as supporters so you 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 captained a winning side against Oxford mm-hmm. um you played in games where we won against Bristol City and Bristol Rovers um how did you find that because I imagine that was something that was completely alien to you until you played in them yeah well you know when you're coming from Liverpool you only think there's only one derby in the world don't you think it's Liverpool Everton you don't know that out there there's a whole myriad of of different teams and the 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 Swindon Oxford one was unbelievable, you know, for the amount of tension and aggression from supporters and on on the pitch, and obviously Bristol City, huge club as well. Bristol Rovers, not so big, but yeah, we're, you know, Swindon was in in the middle of a, even Reading to a certain extent. If you were playing Reading, that could be classed as a as a or even Swindon Supermarine, which my brother used to play for, but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, it was great, and you know, it's. I mean, they all go on all of these these people about you know uh, Rangers and Celtic, Man United, Man City, Man United, Liverpool, Liverpool, Everton. But in Swindon, that was a huge, huge game, and uh, you know, I, I I seen the the ferocity of the supporters uh, and how much it meant to them, you know, before the game and certainly after the game, and. Um, 
I'd be bought a couple of pints on the back end of, of a few Derby games there, which was nice. <laughs> Not the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, and well done for pointing it out. You did indeed um, play and win in a Reading Derby. And Reading, at that point, would have been one of our biggest games too. But because of their rise, we haven't played them in a competitive game for what well, must be. It must be over 20 years now. Yeah. Um, so, so that needs to... Uh, start again at one point but yeah you, you played in pretty much all of them um, I suppose as Wolves have come certainly in this half possibly in the match and they've given it away to Walters here can he finish it off Alisson Leach yes 2-0 to Swindon Scott Leach his first goal for the club after Swindon then so you, you, I think you know your career states that you, you had a little bit of time in non-league with Barrow but then you link up again with Mr McMahon at Blackpool for a few years. Yeah, I, I, I. When I finished injury, uh, my injury at uh, Swindon, I retired. So, I you can then play non-league if you wanted. And I went to Barrow for a for about three months and then just stopped completely. But whatever Steve saw in me as as a player when he signed me and as a captain when he gave me the captaincy, um, obviously he seen something in me. And then when he went. He left Swindon and then he was out for a year or two, I think. And then he went to Blackpool and he asked me to become his assistant manager, uh, which again was was a huge thing for me because, you know, um, it's, the, it's the next best thing to being a footballer is to be a coach and being involved in the game. And uh, I relished it. Um, again, you know, you talk about the finances in there and, I was getting next to nothing as an assistant manager, but I was using it as I was like a sponge, you know, being able to 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 do all of the things that we were doing at a club that was, you know, I'd come from Swindon where it was relatively um, not affluent, but you know, you, you you had your hotel stays. There was never any an issue with with wages or with anything else. When we went to Blackpool, you know, we were asking the players to clean their own kit. And, you know, there's not milk in, in, in there for tea for the lads and we couldn't get the grass cut because the chairman wouldn't wouldn't pay the tax on the tractor from one ground to the... It was crazy, crazy times, but amazing because we were quite successful there also, you know. Um, and this is the, the thing with Steve. I don't know why he hasn't gone on to become uh, a big-name manager because everywhere he's been, especially with... with um, Swindon, he got promotion, and that's good on your CV. He did the same at, at Blackpool as well, and made Blackpool a, a far better, better team. Or both of us did. Um, <clears throat> so, but I think with Steve, his reputation goes before him to a certain extent, and you know, some maybe some chairman mightn't mightn't want to touch touch that side of it. But he was very successful. I had really good four and a half years. You know, we um, we went. Well, we all had the, the you know the. Not not the FA Cup, not the lower league cups. I forget what they're called now. They were different. It's names. the uh, football league trophy. It's the Papa John's now, but it's the oh, football league trophy. Yeah, and, and we won now. We went to the Millennium Stadium, and we went there three times. We went there on a uh, a playoff, uh, and won. we went there for one of these this Papa John, whatever it's called. And we went there three times, and we were successful three times, and um, three amazing days. Um, but it was always up against it at Blackpool because I remember when you know the chairman was a was a quite a um, 
a boisterous type of guy. He's a young lad. He's the the, the son of the of of say old. no more. <laughs> yeah, and the Oystens. Yeah, the Oystens. And you know, we were we were, our remit at the start of the season was not to go up. I don't want you to go up. Wow, because it would have cost the club more money to get better players in. And I mean, that changed over the years. But when you when we're and then we're trying to get players into the football club. I used to have my office and Steve would have his. And then the agent would come in and and talk with the player and, and Steve, the manager and the chairman. And the chairman says, you're getting nothing to the agent. So I had to then catch the agent and the player as they're coming out because Carl wouldn't, he wouldn't pay any money to, to agents. And then he introduced a thing where players only got £90 a week in the summer. Um, it was just crazy times, but we had a really, a really good team. We sold a couple of decent players. Brett Ormerod went for, I think it was 1.7 or 1.8 million to Southampton at the time. And Richie Wellens was playing for us. And we brought in Biggie and Marshall, Simon Grayson. We had uh, Gary Ablett, God rest his soul. Uh, big um, Colin Hendry as well come. So a lot of my peers who I played with, I was then coaching them, which was a huge um, learning curve for me. Um, so, yeah, it was it was good and bad. Um but a lot, lots of good, good, good memory. Now you, now I think back. I, I look and think, okay, all of that other nonsense was worth it, you know, for them, them few days in the sun. <laughs> was was Richie Wellens always going to be a manager? No, absolutely not. He'd be the furthest one from not being a manager. <laughs> you know, I loved him. I I loved him. I um, when he came from Man United, he had this mercurial talent. Um, again. You know, when you look at players who you think, I was talking to you about the ability and stuff and do they train properly and do they this? I think Richie could have done better, although he had a really good career, as it turned out. He went to Leicester as well. Um, he he could have done, he could have been anything he wanted to be, you know. And when Man United, left, he left Man United to come to us, um, he was the one player in our team that made us, us tick. You know, when he's when he played well, well, Blackpool played well, and we had some really amazing nights. Just in terms of playing football, knowing you 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 set your team out to want to play a certain way, and we wanted to try and play attractive football. And some of the days and some of the nights that we had, um, and with him being instrumental uh, in that, um, and yeah, I mean, and I know then he started he started at Oldham, I think it was with with Paul Jewell. Uh, another friend of mine who's obviously been at, at Swindon as well. Um, and, yeah, and he, he used to say to me that about Richie, he said, he's going to be a decent manager, Richie. Uh, he just needs the right club. But um, he's still he's still knocking around. He's still he's at Doncaster now, isn't he? He's left Doncaster. He's now at Leighton Orient, but oh, he had Leighton a very Orient. good yeah. year or so with Swindon. Uh, yeah. took us, he won us the League Two title. And then he, I think he was uh, starry-eyed by Salford. Yes. And whatever was happening behind the scenes at Swindon and, and he went on his way. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things. But yeah, I mean, like you said there, you had a, a, a good working relationship with um, with Jewel um, at various clubs, either as coach and scout. And we don't really have time to go deep into that. And, and Jewel's relationship with Swindon is an awkward one because he is a symbol of the latter stages of a, of a of of an era that, will not go down well yeah. in history, yeah. but he was partly responsible for a lot of success that we had under Richie Wellens. Yes. Um, but everything that followed is what you remember, right? And Jewel was never the most 
you know, visible member of Swindon's mm. staff. He was up north, I think, and he sort of he did his job from there. Rarely saw much of him or heard from him, but of course, he's associated, possibly, probably, rightly, with the the latter stages. But it feels like a lot of people were stitched up <laughs> at that stage. And I used to, I used to speak to I used to speak to Paul on a regular basis, you know, and um, he was the overseer of it all really, wasn't he? You know, um, looking at players and getting players in and different things. And um, yeah, um, Paul's Paul's a, a very good manager um, and his heart is always in the right place. You know, he would never have gone to Swindon just to take money and just to not be there. He'll have gone there and give it his best shot. Now, there's a load of mitigating circumstances with giving your best shot. If you're hamstrung a little bit with your arms tied behind your back in certain quarters, and I'm not saying that was the case, then, you know, the supporters and, and people that are not really inside and on the, in the know don't really un- understand the, the workings of, of a football club. I mean, you know, everyone has their, every club has its, its problems financially and has its problems with certain people in the background falling out with each other and all the rest of it. But I know with Paul that his, his heart was, was very much in the right place. But football is football. You know better than anybody else that, you know, you talk about um, Richie Wellens being starry-eyed. The same thing, you know, you we couldn't be levelled at Steve McMahon because when he was at um, Swindon, I think Man City come in and offered him the job. And he took the five-year contract from Swindon because he thought he owed... He was he owed them that at least you know for giving them the opportunity and that didn't work out. I think he left after maybe eleven months, twelve months after that. But um, yeah, and, and getting back to Paul again, Paul's took me took me to Wigan. Um, and we can go quickly. I went as first team coach, reserve team manager as well. Um, we had success at Wigan in terms of staying in the league, uh, which was again a huge eye opener for me working in the Premier League with the proper top quality players uh, against top quality opposition and and how you set up and how your mindset is. Again, I mean, I'll tell you the story about when we used to get a corner at, at Old Trafford. We didn't think of that as a goal scoring opportunity. We thought of that as a, as a goal conceding opportunity because if we did not put players in the right positions at the right time, the one thing Man United could do. So we we only put one or two people in the box and then rung, rung around the, uh, the, the penalty uh, just in case they could break on us. So it was a huge learning curve. And then we went to Derby. I went to Derby with them. Uh, brilliant club, amazing facilities, amazing supporters. But unfortunately, our team wasn't, wasn't great. We, they got up the year before through the playoffs. And, you know, and I'll take this as a badge of honour because... We, we were the team that has the lowest points ever in the Premier League. Yep. We had yeah, it was just a one points. win, wasn't it? Yeah, but you know what? And, and they did they did a, um, you know, like everything else, stats and everything else. But if we'd have played till 85 minutes only as a team, we'd have been, I think, 16th or, 7th, uh, 16th or 15th in the league. But it's that last five minutes. I remember Steve Stevie Gerrard scoring against us at, at uh, Pride Park, you know, in the last two minutes to beat us 1-0 and, and stuff like that. You know, that used to happen to us on a regular basis. So, again, it wasn't a, a nice thing. But, again, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that I've had a decent coaching career. Not not brilliant, but, you know, I've, I've worked in the Premier League. I've played and worked with, with proper players. 
Um, and then, yeah, and then I obviously did the scouting for Ipswich uh, and a few others, Bolton and Norwich. And then I uh, I came over to India. Yeah. And that that's, that brings us to the last decade. So what, what, what are you doing out there? Well, I initially came as technical director for Arsenal Soccer Schools, um, Pan-India. So I came over, uh, talked to the company. What it basically was, was a company who'd bought the rights to Arsenal's name and wanted to do soccer schools, uh, give the kids an opportunity to be coached by uh, a UEFA licensed coach and you know make the standards a little bit bigger, a little bit better and also utilise the Arsenal name. And they, I mean, it was great early on. Um, everything I was asking for, which wasn't a lot, in terms of you know, the right footballs, the right cones, the right bibs, the right this, that and the other. They didn't understand all of that side of it. And then they started to understand, but then it became more of a, a monetary thing for them rather than me wanting to develop kids. So it's it, it, it slowly turned into a, a bit of a cash cow for them. And so I left after 10 months and I'm thinking, what do I do? Uh, and I met my business partner and which was a lady, Sushila, and she said, would you want to think about doing your own thing? And we did, and we did it for four or five years called The Football Factory. And we had nearly three 300 kids um, in the two centres we had in, in Delhi. And then we, I moved to Gujarat. And then from Gujarat, I moved to Mumbai and then to Goa. So um i've lived all over and in the middle of all of that i started working as a pundit for for sony um sony Tentu, which is a huge company over here um and we show la liga uh, we did the la liga we did Serie A, we do the champions league the the conference league uh what is it the europa conference league the europa league we did the world cup last last time it was around so yeah, so that's what basically I do right now. Um, um, and yeah, I'm loving it. I live in Goa, which is a beautiful part of India. And um, everything's okay. This is the last place on earth I thought I'd ever be, you know, because it, it was never on my radar to go to India. And, you know, I came here. It's been tough at times uh, and still tough at times. But, you know, it's um, right, then, right now for me, it's, it's the best place for me to be in. Fantastic, yeah, that sounds really good. The the development of players out there is quite interesting, kind of topical with Swindon, and I completely appreciate they're completely different countries, but Swindon have started having interests in Karachi, Pakistan. Mm -hmm. You can what you need to think um, is you need to play seventy percent of your international game. So if you're a if you're a quality player in India, which the standard isn't that great here. So if you're a good player that can play in Europe, you're going to be in the national team and you're going to fulfil that criteria. There's also a special talent um, visa that you can get as well. Um, but the one thing that everyone wants in Europe is is an Asian, or not an Asian, sorry, is an Indian player because the population is such that if one of these players goes over to, a, to let's say, to play even, you know, Swindon or any of the leagues, then the amount of following that they get here in, in India is, is is unbelievable. And the problem here in India is um, it's like the chicken and the egg because 
they've got a, a, a big league called the ISL, the Indian Super League. And so they're throwing all the money at that instead of on the grassroots, which when you look at this country and how vast and how big it is and how many people there are, it's very difficult to formulate any sort of a plan together. A, because, I mean, if it's financial, then a lot of the kids don't have enough money to be able to, let alone feed themselves, to to pay for coaching and different things. So, you know, we have a, an institution here called the All India Football Federation. They, they need to, to be on guard and... It's it's since my ten years it's changed an awful lot. It's it's getting better. It really is getting better, but it's a million miles away from from the Premier League right now. I can only imagine. Well, I mean that's pretty much it, Mark. A really, really interesting look at your career. My final question to you, if you were asked about Sweden right now, what what's the first thing that springs to mind in terms of the football? Oh, it's just for, again, I'll I'll have to go a little bit deeper into this. To leave where I come from, uh, which was the northwest, to go to to Swindon, was a was a huge deal for me. And and I was thinking, is it a sideways move? Is it an up move, or is it a down move from where I where I came from, which was was Bolton? And I was I was pleasantly surprised. I was pleasantly surprised by the players, the quality of players at the club. Um, I was pleasantly surprised at the, the people as well. The people were really, really nice and they made me feel right at home. And getting back to the football, we had a decent team. We had a decent squad of players as well. You know, we're talking about having the likes of Paul Allen, who's, you know, FA Cup winners and different things, top quality. David Kerslakes, you know, Ian Culverhouses, Sean Tech. We've had all of them players. Um, and, yeah, and it was just, and it was good times because, you know, when you're winning, especially in a smaller club like Swindon, in a small, is it a town? It's a town, it's a small town. And, you, and you're walking around. It's great when you're winning because everyone's happy. And I never, ever got that other side of it, you know, where, you know, people were, were shouting at you in the street and it was all nice. And, you know, I and I understood that people used to think there's a Scouse Mafia there, the manager's bringing all of the managers doing is bringing these players in. But we all we all came and we all enjoyed it. I did especially. And I, as I said to you, I've got real fond memories of... And, and, I, and I brought my family there, you know, and um, it was great. And as I say, I've got good friends still from Swindon. Um, and that's why, I, that's why when you asked me the other day, I was so quick to say, yeah, because it made me go down memory lane and I was interested to, to, to hear what you were going to say and what questions you were going to ask me. And it's took me back to 95, 96. And, um, and I thank you for that because um, when I'm sat here in, in Goals and thinking about this, how can I stop this heat from melting my bones? <laughs> <laughs> Something we don't have here in the West Country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to yeah, tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Seagraves, thank you very much. That was lovely. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The Low Strangers is an independent podcast. Views given do not reflect those of Swindon Town Football Club. The music is provided by the great Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by Matt in Singapore. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon.
The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 